0: Son of the living God, to Him is the glory forever. Amen. Then the same day at evening being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they have forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in the hand, in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, the disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, you have, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, Which are not written in this book, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name.
1: Spirit, one God, Amen. Christ is risen. This is the eighth day after the Feast of the Resurrection, and actually it's called in the Coptic Church Thomas Sunday because we read uh, the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ meeting the Apostles with St. Thomas, and it's actually one of the minor feasts uh, of the Coptic Church. St. Thomas was absent in the morning on the day of the resurrection it's important for us to see some of the like theological points of this reading and then some of the practical uh, applications for our, our spiritual life on the day of the resurrection the Lord comes to the disciples minus Thomas and he goes through the doors that are shut because of course he's God and he can do anything he wishes and the first words that he says to the disciples are Peace be to you. And this is actually very important. Christ had just overthrown the devil. He opened heaven for all of us who believe in him. And now the time has come to sort of reveal himself to his closest friends. It's time for him to reveal his salvation and the miracle of the resurrection. And this greeting actually sort of captures the heart, the essence of the message of the resurrection. Peace be to you. The peace, by the way, can have more than one meaning. First, Christ is offering peace between us and God. The apostles, of course, were not in the most peaceful state when Easter Sunday happened. They had just seen our Lord Jesus Christ's arrest and his crucifixion. They experienced their own weakness and their lack of faith. Instead of holding on to the promise that they had been told by Him many times that He is going to rise again, they gave in to fear, they gave in to doubt. And they scattered after the arrest of our Lord Jesus Christ. They hung back very far during His trial, during His crucifixion. They went into hiding. They were worried that the authorities would come after them. By all sort of measures, they failed Christ. But when He appeared... What does he say to them? He says, peace be to you. He didn't bring up painful, embarrassing events of the past couple days. He didn't even mention them. He just wished them peace. He just wished them peace. These words remind us of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ when He spoke to the woman who was caught in adultery. When all her accusers walked away, Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. And they also remind us of how our Lord Jesus Christ responded when St. Peter said, Depart from me, Lord, from I am a sinful man. Early when he was calling St. Peter to be an apostle. He didn't join St. Peter in his negative sort of self-appraisal. He didn't recite a list of his sins, his failings. All he said was, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men or fishers of men. In both of these events, the, adulterer, the adulteress and St. Peter, and many, many more events, our Lord Jesus Christ's main goal was to show he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Right? That's what he says in his Gospel according to St. John. He doesn't want a relationship that is associated or... or defined by vengeance or retribution or anger all he wanted is for us to be in peace with God so after tearing down the dividing wall that was separating us from God the, the greeting is peace be to you it says that no matter how many times we sin no matter how bad our offenses are God stands ready and willing to forgive us and release us from this guilt if only we are willing to repent And he does this so that we can experience the peace that comes from being reconciled with God. And as long as we stay with him, that peace will stay with us. And that peace that comes from our Lord Jesus Christ is not the same as the peace of this world. That's what he explains later. The world's peace depends on good circumstances. If I get my way, if things are going as I expect, If I have problems, but they are manageable. You know, that sounds nice, but as soon as things, kind of, we lose control of things, this type of peace tends to disappear, leaving us anxious, leaving us worried. In contrast to that worldly peace, the peace that our Lord Jesus Christ brings is the peace of knowing I am reconciled with God, I am reconciled with my Creator, that I am precious, that I am loved by Him, and that He drew me to Himself, by His sacrifice on the cross and His rising from the dead. Also the gift of peace our Lord Jesus Christ gives is meant to spill over into our relationships with one another. Immediately after telling the disciples, peace be with you, our Lord Jesus Christ says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So He's sending us out asking us to treat each other with the same mercy, the same love that He's shown us. A mercy that is pulling down dividing walls of hostility, of lack of forgiveness. A love that is supposed to empower us to love each other deeply and be at peace with one another. Even in the book of Proverbs, it says, he who covers transgression shows love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. So Scripture tells us, don't bring up things over and over again, that people mistakes that people make. Cover their transgressions. Cover their transgressions the way that Christ covers yours. Loving each other and forgiving each other is probably one of the most challenging aspects of our lives as Christians. We know how difficult it is to love without any condition, without any stipulations. We know how difficult it is to forgive someone has hurt us our natural response is to lash out in anger to sink into guilt to have resentment the only way that we can overcome these patterns is to let the peace of Christ reign in our hearts as Saint Paul says in Colossians if we can imagine Saint Peter and the disciples are standing there how do they feel when Christ is standing in front of them offering them unconditional forgiveness, endless friendship. All of a sudden, we should find our own hearts softening. If we can imagine ourselves in their place, knowing that our Lord Jesus Christ says to them the same way that He told the adulterous woman, neither do I condemn you. We'll then be able to find the grace to do the same thing to each other. One way actually of describing the the goal, one of our goals of life is to have peace. Because if there's peace, God is there. We say say about Him, He is the King of Peace. And actually the disciples themselves are going to achieve this peace with God, not with a peaceful life. Because there's going to be many bad things that's going to happen to them. They're all going to be martyred, except for one. But they'll have peace in their heart, because God is going to abide in them. Next thing that happens, that I wanted to mention, is He breathed on the disciples, and He said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. In Scripture, breath is often sort of indicating wind, and the wind is indicating the Holy Spirit. Because like our Lord Jesus Christ says to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wills, and we do not know where it comes from or where it's going. He says it's the same with the Spirit. To this day, When the priest baptizes somebody, the priest will breathe on the one who is being baptized. This breath, by the way, is not the actual giving of the Holy Spirit. It's indicative, it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. When our Lord Jesus Christ said, receive the Holy Spirit, they did not actually receive the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. He was speaking of what would happen in time, almost like prophesying. He also says to them something very important. He says, whoever sins you remit, they are remitted to them. And whoever sins you retain, they are retained. This is why until this day we have the practice of, of the sacrament of repentance and confession with a priest in the presence of God. Because we see here very clearly our Lord Jesus Christ giving authority to the disciples exclusively to loose and remit sins. This is not something He said to the general population. It's not something he said, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying it to his disciples. I'm breathing on you, and I'm giving you the authority to bind and to lose. So then St. Thomas saw the disciples, but he didn't see Christ right away, and he didn't believe. And he was very explicit why he didn't want to believe. He said, unless I see the print of the nails in his hands, and I put my finger in the print of the nails, and put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. By the way, this is not the recommended way to speak about our Lord Jesus Christ. It was a mistake. But even though he made a mistake, he waited, and he was still with the disciples. And then eight days later, our Lord Jesus Christ is standing in the midst of them, and now this time St. Thomas is there. And he tells St. Thomas, put your finger here, and, and see my hands, And put your hand here and and feel my side. He said, don't be unbelieving, but believing. And then St. Thomas says something very important. He says, my Lord and my God. It's a profession of the divinity of Christ. Indicating that Christ is both God and man. And then Jesus says to him, you know, is it just because you saw that now you believed? Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believed. So we have a blessing. From Christ Himself because of St. Thomas's unbelief. We did not see Christ face to face, and yet we believe. And this ties in with the most important part. It's important to know, of course, the theological facts about God. To know dogmatic things and to be correct in them. That God is Trinity. That our Lord Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. That the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. Those things are all important. But none of it matters if you don't endure until the end, because if you give up, then you're not going to receive the things you're striving for. So Thomas, St. Thomas, although he made a mistake, when he said, I'm going to refuse to believe, unless I see for myself, where did he go? What was he doing? He stayed with the apostles. Even though his heart was broken, even though he did not believe, But if you really think about it, there is no way that he 100% did not believe. There was some part of him that hoped. There was something in him that made him say, you know what, I'm going to stay with the disciples. I'm going to still go and be with them and pray with them and stay with them in the upper room. And this is one of the most important parts of the reading and the lesson that we can take from this feast. We all make mistakes not just ones of unbelief, not just ones of doubt, but lots of other sins, sometimes very serious sins. If you're honest with yourself, you know this and you believe this. And if we are like Thomas, we stay with prayer, we stay with fasting, we stay within the church, we don't give up. And God will always enlighten us as He did St. Thomas every time. It might not happen in the time that we want it to happen, but it will always happen. Why do you think the story of St. Thomas is preserved in the Gospel? Of course, it's an interesting story, but why does St. John mention it? Why is so much spent time spent on it? If you look at the day of the Resurrection and the aftermath after the Resurrection, it was difficult for people to believe in the Resurrection. Even though our Lord Jesus Christ had told them many times, that he was going to rise. He told them about the sign of Jonah. He told them many times that this is what was going to happen. And then it happened literally exactly as he said. But then he died. And when they saw him, they didn't see him anymore. And then on the day of the resurrection, some saw him and some didn't. And the ones who didn't see him just couldn't believe until they he finally appeared to everybody. The resurrection is difficult to believe in. Now, okay, we can say we believe in the historical event of the resurrection. We can say, okay, of course, it's easy. I'm a a Christian, of course, I believe in the resurrection. But I should ask myself, is this truly the case? If I really believed in the resurrection, I would never sin. Because the purpose of the resurrection is so that I can become perfected. There is only truth in the resurrection, and the one who is resurrected, our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else matters. Nothing else has any other substance or importance in the world. So the more I live according to the resurrection, the less I sin, the more peace I have. It's difficult to believe in the resurrection. What I mean by that is to always live according to the resurrection, because you see things in life that contradict it. There are things in your own life, things that you do that you know you shouldn't do, things that you don't do that you know you should do, and yet we still call ourselves Christians. How do I deal with this sort of dichotomy of having belief and yet unbelief, the same way that St. Thomas did? You stick with the Lord, you keep praying, you keep fasting, you keep confessing your sins, you keep struggling.
0: And as God reveals to
1: you things about yourself, you change them with Him helping you. And then He reveals, when He reveals Himself completely to you, as He did to St. Thomas, you're able to see Him. If we are full of sin, we can't see God very well at all. It's almost like if our eyes have like cataracts on them. But those scales will fall off if we struggle. That's what St. Thomas did. He made a mistake. It was not intelligent what he said. He had heard the same things that the other apostles had said. (coughs) And now all of his friends had been, like the ones that he had been with for three years, the ones who have been ministering with Christ, told him, we saw the Lord, but he didn't believe. But also he would not go away. So we need to learn this from St. Thomas. Let's understand that living according to the resurrection is difficult. But also it is our singular goal and purpose in life. So we stick close to God by prayer, by fasting, by coming to services, by repentance, by confession. Even if they do not touch you. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes prayer is flat. Sometimes prayer is dry. Sometimes reading the scripture is difficult or boring or confusing. But I need to continue in all of these things. And God will enlighten us as much as He enlightened St. Thomas. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.